Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to the I Hear Design podcast. This is Robert Niemann, and I hope your 2020 is off to a great start so far. As we've been planning for the new year, we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into some topics that we think you'll find interesting or um, that have been making headlines, uh, or ideally both. Uh, So we decided to kick off this new year with a series on wellness that I think you guys will really enjoy. Obviously, it's a topic that gets a lot of attention these days, uh, really regardless of what industry you're in. And if you've been following along with us at Interiors and Sources for any length of time, uh, you know we've been looking at how wellness impacts design from a, a number of different angles. So for today's broadcast specifically, I wanted to open up the conversation to talk about the concept of biophilia and how it can be leveraged to greater effect in interiors today. And to help me with that, I've invited one of my longtime industry friends, Holly Henderson of H2 Eco Design, to explore biophilic design a bit further. Holly, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Robert. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to chat with you. Um, so as I mentioned in my opening comments there, the wellness is, trend is really huge right now. And I've read a lot about how uh, biophilia or biophilic design, rather, uh, can help in encouraging greater a greater sense of wellness in interiors. But before we kind of delve into some of the nuts and bolts of biophilia, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the what? So for our listeners, Holly, that may not be entirely familiar with the concept of biophilia and what it encompasses, what would you give as a definition? Like, what exactly is it, and why are so many people talking about it these days? Yes, well, this is one of my favorite topics because um, really all that biophilia encompasses is us as humans and our connection with nature. I mean, it's really just that simple. And so biophilic design really kind of replicates nature to kind of reinforce that connection that we all we don't know why. It's like almost on an intuitive level. We all just enjoy it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so how can the designs that we create reinforce what it is that we love so much about being in nature? Mm-hmm. And so primarily biophilia relates to our industry, the A&D industry. So it's mostly focused on architects, interior designers, and urban planners. And the funny thing is when you ask me to do this, I thought, well, you know, I need to make sure I brush up on my terminology because some of this terminology mm-hmm. can be kind of confusing. Um, right. So I know, yeah, exactly. So I knew we were going to talk about biophilia. I've even done an entire biophilia presentation for a customer. I was like, I better brush up. So my favorite go-to resource is Terrapin Bright Green. Bill Browning and those guys over there do a fantastic job talking about uh, biophilic design and biophilia. And so, um, and not, not only that, but precursor to them really was Janine Banyas, which a lot of us might be mm-hmm. familiar with from the book that she wrote about 10 years ago called sure. Biomimicry. And um, so on Terrapin Bright Green's website, and I can send you this link so we can share it with the audience, is um, a little test where they had, they give you a scenario and you could say, is this, biomimicry or is this biophilia and biophilia i mean biomimicry is more focused on technology challenges and how you can focus on product development and how a product development may be inspired by um, nature and so and and how this that might solve it and so it was so interesting because i went through their little test to you know to label it each scenario Mm -hmm. was it biomimicry or biophilia or was it both or was it neither and I only scored a four out of six (laughs) 
Oh, wow. <laughs> so it can so it can be kind of it can be kind of challenging topic. But you know, your yeah. your question really was, you know, what does biophilia mean? And it's just really our connection as humans to nature. It's just as simple as that. Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up about the terminology because biomimicry is another one that that uh, you know we we hear a lot to get thrown around, and so um, I think those distinctions are important. And yeah, we'll definitely make that link available uh, to our listeners so they can read up and maybe take that test as well. So that's great. You mentioned the A and D community and that and how this is sort of tied to them directly. How does biophilia fit into like current um, building rating systems right now, like LEED and Well? That's a great question. It does, actually. It is in three systems now, three of the prevalent systems that we hear a lot of people talk about. So it's in LEED, WELL, and I see it also in Living Building Challenge in different ways. So, for example, in LEED, they, they have a pilot credit that's focused on biophilic design. And really, um, if you go in and read the pilot credit, it's mostly focused on um, explaining how you used biophilic design in a narrative form in your project. Um, okay. and, so, and you have to look to these 14 patterns of biophilic design and a great resource, it's just a free PDF you can get off Terrapin Bright Green's website, but it, is the, it actually shows you those 14 patterns of biophilic design. And we can talk through what those mean if you want to. But So that's sure. the pilot credit. And what people may not realize about pilot credits within LEED is pilot credits were kind of a a bookshelf, if you if you will, where people would have all these great new ideas for lead. And they're like, where can we beta test and pilot credits? Well, we can try them out on 50 to 100 projects for a year or so and, and get the reality from the A&D community of, okay, in this, if we're trying to implement this initiative, what's the reality of how that works within specifications and drawings you know, what's mm-hmm. going to be the, the minimal amount of work we have to do within our process to make this really logistically work for us? And then it's kind of a back and forth with USGBC and LEED, and then at the end of its pilot credit's life, it either becomes a real LEED credit, or perhaps they trash it, or perhaps they change it or morph it or what have you. So um, pilot credits, the cool thing about them is if you document them and they're accepted, they can actually be an innovation credit on your project, and that's for any version of LEED. So um, that's how Lee looks at biophilic design. And then right. Well yeah. has an actual feature within it. I'm sorry. No, I was going to see if we could just for the sake of our listeners, if we can go back just um, you mentioned mm-hmm. the 14 biophilic design elements. Like, could you just give an example, just a few of those? Like what would those be or what would they entail? Absolutely. Okay, so of the 14 patterns, they've organized them really into three big categories. So mm-hmm. they're nature in the space, natural analogs, and nature of the space. And they've got this cool little matrix you can look at to kind of understand better what those, how those 14 patterns are divided into those three categories. But just to give a couple of examples, and these are pretty easy ones. So an example mm-hmm. of nature in the space might be water. We've all been in spaces where we hear water, we see water, and how does that reduce our stress? help our cognitive performance, you know, let's just change our mood to just see that element of water or to hear that element of water. That would be a good example. What would another good example be? Maybe a place of refuge. So let's say you sit in a, let's say you're working in a call center and it's like got a whole bunch, it's an open space, it's got these open cubicles 
and you can imagine your your whole livelihood's based on number of calls you can get done successfully in the next 15 minutes or what have you. And mm-hmm. so you can imagine in a space like that, kind of stressful, or even a healthcare environment, moments of refuge where people can kind of escape that scenario and have a moment of quiet and peace and maybe a place with a view and some things like that. Those would be two examples yeah. of um, how you could actually use biophilic design in some of those various patterns. Sure. Yeah, that's perfect. And that it makes total sense. I mean, we've been talking about the, the impact that proper acoustics has in, in interiors these days, and that definitely ties into wellness. So, yeah, that's perfect. Okay. And then you were going to go on to, I think, well uh, and how biophilia mm-hmm. kind of fits into that system. Yes. So with well, there's actually a feature. It's feature number 88, um, biophilia 1. I actually have, I think, a biophilia 2 as well in the well system. But uh, it talks about having a biophilia plan. So what does that mean? That basically means that you're incorporating nature and pattern and how do you verify this as a A&D professional. You need to write a narrative and give some level of detail of how you're incorporating those things within the space. It can take a lot of different forms of that narrative. It could be a paragraph. It could be annotated plans, you know, those types of things. And then also we talked a little bit earlier about Living Building Challenge, which, as we know, is a pretty high bar. It's for the design community, but they have a specific um, within the happiness imperative that is the biophilic environment. And what I liked about this one was they actually ask that the or require, really, that the project team engage in a minimum of a one-day, full-day exploration of how they can incorporate biophilic design and the, the charrette, if you will, um, can incorporate a cu- couple different things. They need to focus, though, on cultural, regional, climatic, mm-hmm. ecological, anything having to do with that particular region and really thinking about place and where they're at is an important piece of that. They also can provide the agenda from that all-day meeting, you know, with the time frames and action items, and then, um, you know, how they're going to implement that, really, as a framework within the built environment or within the project. That's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sure those are really insightful sessions, and, and people are probably learning a lot from that, too. I think you mentioned earlier, just a little bit, you touched on the impact that biophilic design can have on occupants. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and talk about what biophilia can do for people within a space uh, as far as physiologically or just, you know, health and wellness? I mean, is there, is there like evidence and research to support all that? There actually is, and that's, I mean, that's one of the things I'm most excited about in this field. And I think that as an impetus or a catalyst, both Well and FitWell have done a great job of helping us as an industry with some of these intangible things that it's really kind of hard. To, it's easier to get metrics around energy savings than it is some of these things. And um, I'm going to refer you guys back to the 14 patterns of biophilic design, improving health and well-being in the built environment. And there's actually a matrix in there table on page 12 and on this table it has the 14 patterns that we just talked about and what it does is it says in terms of health and wellness and verifying this with research data and and the interesting thing that it does is it's got like it's got one dot if the research is not as deep as they'd like for it to be and that's a whole new industry that's opening up is how do you really verify these things and how do you catalog and test and, you know, be able to compare these metrics. And then they've got up to three dots where they've got 
deeper research. So each one of these things is footnoted with verifiable data for the health and well-being impacts. So for example, a good example would be, we talked about refuge a few minutes ago. So we said if you were in a call center or a healthcare environment that was stressful, it might be nice to have a moment of refuge. Well, the specific healthcare or the health and well-being benefits to that would be improved concentration. You know, we could have better attention. We could focus on our work. And also just a feeling of safety. And I think we can all kind of relate to that in terms of when we're in a space, we, you know, we have a moment of refuge and we're able to just get a lot done, you know, in -hmm. terms of versus you're in a loud space and you're getting distracted by the loud talker or what have you. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so, and and then also we've, you know, we've talked for years about having this visual connection to nature. So what would be the actual health impact of that would be, you might be more engaged mentally. You might be more attentive. We've seen that a lot in classrooms and educational facilities and then in this table, they actually have that footnote, so you can go and reference that. That's fantastic. That's great and good to know. I know our listeners will appreciate it because, as you just mentioned, with the engagement, um, that's another huge topic that's been coming up lately and, and the cost of that on employee productivity and, and for companies overall. So that's great. Okay, what about some um, other bio, biophilic design strategies that you can think of that maybe our listeners might want to consider, you know, or at least investigate for their next project? Like, what are some other ideas that they could possibly implement? Yeah, and I think one of the things I would I'd probably refer these guys to would be, there's a great book, Biophilic Design, The Theory, mm-hmm. Science, and Practice of Bringing Buildings to Life that um, Judith Hirwagen and a couple of other people Stephen Keller, Martin Mador came together and wrote, and it's got some great strategies, best practices, things that you can do. You know, we've seen lots of great examples. Like even if you go to uh, Living Building Challenge, they have on their website uh, the Keller Award, who's the gentleman who was one of the authors of this book. And you can look through some of those designs. And what I found when I was doing primarily design work is I would be inspired by other projects other some of the, what are the materials they're using and it's not to to directly copy these things but it's to say what can i learn from others who are doing great work in this area so that's probably right. what i would recommend for those people who really want to incorporate this because kind of tying back to your last question when you have to go in and sell this to an owner you need to be able to talk about the direct tangible benefits to them it's not just you know, adding color, it's not just, it's what is the benefit going to be to them? What is that? What is what is the end result for that? Exactly, exactly. I t- totally agree. And it'll definitely help our listeners sell, sell those ideas and concepts to clients. So you touched on earlier in the conversation about products and product design. I was going to ask how those demonstrate bio, biophilic design, but it actually would be biomimicry, I think, as we pointed out. Have you come across any really cool products recently that, that kind of fall in that category of biomimicry? Well, and that's the funny thing, and that's the questions that I missed that I mentioned earlier on in the quiz that Terrapin Bright Green had. That's where it gets tricky. That's where it gets really tricky because it can be a biophilic design that helps to connect you with nature. That's where it gets confusing because that can be on a product. So let's say you have a flooring material that has mm-hmm. a nature-relevant design to it or what have you. 
that, that might help you to be, and the lighting might be, and there's all these various uh, design elements that might make the human beings in that space feel more connected to nature. So that's biophilia. But biomimicry is when we've got technology issues we're trying to resolve and we look to nature to help resolve them. And sometimes it's both, and that's what gets confusing. But in terms of some cool uh, products that I've seen, Gensler worked with Sage Green Life's Verdanta, and they did a uh, Verdanta Living Wall series. And these are kind of movable partitions that one side has plant life on and the other side has mm-hmm. a dry erase surface. So that's one of the ones I thought of that I thought, you know, that in a lot of ways could be a great product. One of the things you'll notice that uh, Terrapin Bright Green talks about is um, in their concepts around biomimicry, and I think we all feel this naturally when we're in spaces, but the more diverse things are, uh, the more we're attracted to them. So if it's one plant sitting in a single pot, we're like, oh, that's nice. But if you see a diverse ecosystem of plants, and a wide right. variety of plants, it feels more like nature because that's what nature is. It's more diverse, and all those things work together in a system. So as I mentioned this piece, the Living Wall series, you know, that's something to think about. If you're going to try to incorporate that kind of design, how can you make it more diverse would be one thing I would contemplate yeah. in that type of design work. Yeah, and I, I agree. Those living walls are, are very cool, and you're right. As the more diverse they are, the the more interesting I think visually, you know, that people mm-hmm. respond to. So, okay, how well do you see biophilia sort of shaping the built environment as we as we look forward, like into 2020 and beyond? Like, is there anything you're particularly excited about, or or you know, projects or anything like that that come to mind that you want to mention? Well, I feel like this kind of takes us back to the beginning a little bit because the thing that I'm most excited about relative to biophilia are the metrics. Because we've known for 10 years now, you know, plus how important it is, but we really haven't been collecting the data and we haven't been talking about it in a multifaceted way. It's not just the visual aspects. It's what you hear when you're in a space. It's what you see. It's what you smell. It's what you taste. It's what every aspect of your sensory being and really beyond. So, but how do you tie that back to metrics and data that are important to customers? Um, and to me, that's what I'm most excited about, is that we're seeing the ability to really get people to invest in this because they can see the benefits. And so that, to me, is what I'm, I'm super excited about. Because as long as it stays kind of intangible and nebulous and just a pretty add-on, it's not mm-hmm. going to really have staying power. But the more and more I see those metrics, I realize that it's going to become an integral part of our design for the future, and we're going to start seeing it more as a baseline thing that we implement on all of our projects, and I think all of us would be happier in these spaces. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, we've been looking, too, at, at data-driven design and you know, what designers can do with when they collect all this information and how do we make spaces better uh, because of it. And so, yeah, that's very, very cool, and I'm sure our listeners would agree. So, I just want to mention that one of the cool things, too, is linking it to HR in corporations mm-hmm. or in entities that have an HR element so that you really get that feedback loop. And that's one of the things I think design professionals for many years have really struggled with. You know, once you're finished with the job, the project, and the project's complete, and they have the pictures taken, and everyone's off, and there's no fee left, it's like, how do you get that feedback loop? How do you bridge that gap? And I think that is another piece that's very exciting about capturing that data. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good point. I'm glad you made that. 
I'm also very excited to just looking forward is the potential that biophilic design holds as well and, and really interested to see how this all plays out, the design of new and healthier spaces going forward. Well, Holly, it's been great as always talking to you. Uh, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Robert. What, it was a great time. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, for our listeners, um, we want to make sure that you tune in next week as we continue our series on wellness. Uh, we're going to be looking at exactly what goes into a healthy building uh, with a little help from our friends at Borough Happold, and so we hope you join us again. And as always, we invite you guys to sound off on our social media feeds with comments or questions or topics you want to hear more about in future podcasts. So with that, I personally want to wish you all a happy, prosperous new year. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, be well, everyone.